Welcome to August's IBMS Pod. I'm Ella, stepping in for Rob this week. This month, we're talking all things lab sustainability with Martin Farley, the Sustainability Labs Advisor at UCL and Kings. We'll discuss why it's important to address sustainability and efficiency in the laboratory, and Martin will share some simple tips to help make your lab more environmentally friendly. Later on in lab life, we're joined by IBMS fellow Cherie Scott to chat about sustainability in healthcare labs, virtual verifications, and becoming a verifier for the IBMS. Before we get to all that, here's the latest news. The IBMS is calling for members to sign up to become verifiers or examiners for the IBMS registration and specialist portfolios. These vital roles help sustain the pipeline of future biomedical scientists. Listen out for more on this in Lab Life with Sherry Scott later on in the podcast. This year, five IBMS members have been added to the prestigious Pathologist Power List. Congratulations to Anthony Manuel de Sousa, David Wells, Guy Orchard, Ian Davies, and Jane Mills on this remarkable achievement and recognition. IBMS members are encouraged to apply for the Excellence in Healthcare Science Award, the latest in the Chief Scientific Officer's Healthcare Science Awards 2021. Nominations close on the 28th of August. After one of its most impactful years yet, the British Journal of Biomedical Science will be moving to gold open access with new publishing partner Frontiers. From January 2022, all new articles in BJBS will be immediately and permanently available to access freely. You can find out more about our stories on our website and in the show notes. So this month, we're joined by Martin Farley, who is a sustainability labs advisor at UCL and King's. Martin was the first green labs professional in the UK and in 2015 was awarded the Green Gown Award for his work at the intersection of lab management and sustainability. Welcome to the podcast, Martin. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me. And no problem. Thanks for joining us. So with the UN Climate Conference, COP26, just around the corner, and with many linking the recent flash flooding in parts of London to the issue of climate change, it's, it's front and centre right now. Um, but not everyone might be aware of the impact laboratory spaces are having on the environment. So could you outline why this is so important that we are thinking of sustainability and efficiency in these settings and then help us to understand the scale this is having on the science and the environment? Sure. So uh, first of all, I'll say outright is that we don't know the full carbon emissions of science. Um, I think that that's worth saying up front. Uh, and it's uh, for, for the keen researchers out there, I think it's something that needs to be investigated in more depth. Um, and there is some initial work that's going on, but it's a very complicated topic, uh, as you can imagine. Yes, uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, science, um, we know inherently is quite um, resource intensive and results in a lot of carbon emissions. Um, some of the stats that we use to highlight that are, for example, um, the classic one is around uh, ultra-low temperature freezers, which we use a lot in science, uh, or minus 80s, um, consume around a house's worth of energy per freezer and not taking into account the extra energy required to cool them in freezer rooms. Um, another example is, um, I think, flight travel and data centers each consume around 2% of the world's carbon emissions or responsible for, not consume, sorry, um, but um, and um, you know, it, science obviously is a is a portion of those. We we 
Um, it's not the entire 2%, obviously, because it, 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 it's um, obviously a lot of things are involved in that. But science requires a huge amount of data and uh, a lot of flight travel. Um, uh, labs themselves, when we look at research institutions on a, on a smaller scale than globally, um, for example, at uh, Uni University College London, where I work, um, they consume around 52% of the energy and um, roughly a comparable amount of our carbon emissions at UCL. Um, are coming from uh, science facilities. Um, and when we consider the, you know, the, the breadth of what um, is taking place at UCL, um, I think that helps to highlight that um, uh, science facilities and other specialist areas uh, aren't always considered at the top of the list when it comes to environmental sustainability. But these specialist high-impact areas are going to need to be part of um, the, the conversation um, if we're going to get to net zero and achieve the targets that we're talking about for COP26. And when you're talking about a sustainable green lab space, what aspects of the lab environment do you tend to focus on when attempting to drive down emissions? Well, um, historically, uh, well, and traditionally, we, we often think about energy consumption. Um, and I think energy consumption is, is, um, gets focused on in part because it's easily quantified to start. We're paying for it at the end of every month. Um, and uh, and it requires a lot of um, resources just to get that energy to us. Um, so it's, um, it, you know, obviously people talk a lot about energy consumption, but, um, you know, energy consumption overall in terms of our carbon emissions is what you were asking about is, is actually relatively small. Um, and when we think about all of the materials that we use and the in, uh, embodied carbon that they represent, and part of that is because, uh, particularly in the UK, a lot of work has been done to um, to reduce the associated emissions with the energy that we consume, which is a good thing. Uh, and you know, obviously, then that that skews the emissions to to come. Uh, they'll, they'll be heavier from the other sources, which is all the stuff we buy and we use in the buildings and et cetera, mm -hmm. and materials. So, um, you know, if we're talking about green science and, and sustainable science, then, you know, energy consumption is up there, but material consumption, I think, is is a much greater issue. And that relates to the equipment, the consumables, the plastics. Uh, everybody thinks about the plastics. Um, but of course, the, the things that I mentioned before, which is the data centers, uh, and um, which also is materials and energy combined, um, and air travel, um, which uh, varies depending uh, in terms of a percentage based on your research uh, subject. And what would be some top tips for scientists wanting to make the lab more sustainable? The, the top tips that jump to mind, of course, are, you know, um, closing a fume cupboard sash that reduces the flow rate uh, when, when, you, when, when you don't need it, obviously. Um, and um, generally, I will say is that any type of reuse or using materials more on site is a win. Um, and so sometimes people associate sustainability with needing to go and just buy a bunch of new, more efficient stuff versus I'd kind of argue the opposite. It, it's more about trying to, to repair and make more use on site of what you have. Um, air travel is, is a large contributor. So if people can um, attend their conferences um, online, I think the, the, the pandemic has sort of shaped that for us. So I don't, I don't know if I need to uh, comment on it as much as maybe people would have a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but to be honest, you know, that's why I started work on LEAF was because we wanted to capture all the good things people could do in a simple to use, easily accessible format and to standardize it to make it easy. Because 
it's not clear always what scientists can do. Um, I'd also say that people listening, you can always challenge yourself. You know your lab much better than I do, obviously. And so the, where the opportunities are for reuse and et cetera and reduction, um, you, you know, we can give you ideas, but the, the more specified solutions will come from, from within. Mm. And moving on to your role itself, uh, it's quite a fairly new role. It straddles the line between science and aspects of design, engineering, engagement and more. I, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the role itself and your career path and journey into it. Did you follow a specific career path to get into this role? I Well, I studied biology and did a master's in biology uh, in the Netherlands and uh, and worked a lot in a lab, uh, worked as a technician in the US as well. Um, but I was seeking to combine topics and because uh, I wasn't the best researcher and uh, ended up wanting to combine it. At first, I was looking at music, but then I ended up combining it with sustainability uh, and uh, started a post at the University of Edinburgh uh, around sustainable labs. Uh, and then it, I thought it would last a few months, but it just kept going, really. Um, That's great. Yeah. What were your passions behind doing this particular role? Why, why um, were you so motivated to be in this space? Uh, I mentioned before my research didn't go that well. I couldn't help but notice the volumes of plastic uh, in tissue culturing that had gone into the research that um, essentially didn't go super well. And I was seeing the amounts of plastic that I was creating every day and thought, wow, I wonder if there's anything we can do about that. And um, I got in touch with a fellow in the US, Alan Doyle, who put me in touch with a fellow in the UK. Um, and uh, that's how we set up the internship. So it was, it was the thought of all that I'd used and, and not really gone someplace. And it turns out a lot of people thought the same. Okay, cool. So I'm going to hand over to Ellen now to talk a bit more about the LEAF framework. Bella. Really curious to hear about LEAF from you. So, um, you know, we, we know that UCL, along with yourself, developed LEAF, which is the Laboratory Efficiency Assessment Framework. Um, this is pretty recent, isn't it? Yeah, we we did pilot it for two years before putting it online, but um, we we didn't we just launched it, um, softly launched it, I guess, um, in February of this year, um, and so and and we're still working on it, uh, I should say, but it's 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 a fun project. So. Cool. I guess you know we're interested to hear about how the framework how the framework works, um, what it intends to pinpoint within labs it's themselves. Um, if you could just speak to us a bit about that. Sure. So um, the way it works right now is um, uh, an institution enrolls, and then we ask labs uh, within those uh, institutions to sign up. Um, I think the best comparison I've made, I've found is with health and safety, is that if you look at a health and safety directorate, you know, that knowledge of how to be safe within your institution is, you know, there's a local health and safety directorate that uses a national standard, HSE, that, that provides guidance on how to be safe within a lab space. And I think that's the best comparable of what we're trying to do with sustainability. We're trying to build local uh, knowledge so that people can assess how sustainable they are based on a, a standard which everybody can use and, and compare. And so um, labs sign up and they um, work through the, the different levels. There's bronze, silver, gold levels for LEAF, and they work through... Uh, uh, the criteria uh, and try to you know address the criteria even if they're not able to achieve a criteria sometimes understanding why they can't achieve a criteria i think is is um more valuable than understanding why they did 
and um and so they work through them and um and then they can also estimate some of their impacts using the calculators uh within leaf um and uh and yeah that's that's a, a very quick uh wrap up of the process no, that's great i think you know for a lot of our members um working in healthcare their labs will be run by individual trusts within the nhs and so it's it's a different kind of scheme if you will than working within university research labs so I guess, um, do you have any advice or ideas for implementing sustainability um, within healthcare labs specifically? Um, well, I will say is that um, we've started to work on other, you know, uh, on a, um, well, let's start over. I, I should say that um, I, I've done some work outside of uh, LEAF with um uh, the Royal College of Emergency Medicine have a sustainability group, um, and um, there's been some individuals there who have been working with, and we've built something called Green ED, which is a, a framework for emergency departments in the UK, which um, we're, we're just starting to pilot now in three different um, uh, sites. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, the process that we have within LEAF can be applied to other specialist areas with um, some some slight rejigging to suit that setting um i think at the end of the day getting back to the original point is that all these specialist areas if we're going to achieve these carbon targets we need all the specialist areas to have standard approaches of how to be sustainable as well and so um that's what we're trying to help and deliver on absolutely so in terms of the implementation itself um if you know i'm running a lab and I'm interested in taking on LEAF, um, you know, what steps do I go through? Well, if your institution signed up, you, you uh, basically sign up your lab online and then you read the criteria and work through them. And, um, you know, some of the things are going to be on, on some of the top tips we were mentioning before around ventilation. Um, uh, one of my favorite is around tracking the materials of departing scientists and staff. Um, Can you explain that? Um, yeah, so uh, there's, uh, I think in most academic institutions, we have turnover and um, <laughs> like anywhere. Uh, and when people go, it's always a busy time. Uh, and there's a tendency sometimes to leave, for example, a freezer full of samples or a drawer full of chemicals or um, uh, reagents and et cetera. And that knowledge of what to do with them sometimes departs with the, that person. Uh, tracking what those people leave behind, making sure that it's shared, making sure that it doesn't sit there for 20 years and then get disposed of unnecessarily, um, well, left for 20 years unnecessarily, um, I think it's, is a first step uh, in in terms of organizing all the stuff we have. I don't know if anybody's been within a sort of a messy, messy chemistry lab or opened up a fridge full of, you know, toxins that we shouldn't be smelling. Um, uh, Sometimes they have to store those things, but ideally not for too long. And, and there's a bit of management around it so that we're not storing things unnecessarily, buying them three times and then throwing them away twice or something. Yeah, I'm guessing that goes back to what you were saying before of the um, the low temperature freezers as well as, you know, if you've got a freezer full of old samples <laughs> taking up space, <laughs> more energy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. It's um, and um, and often just um, I should say a lot of this is good lab practice. You know, knowing what you have, where it is, um, how to access it, and where to dispose of it in a in a and how to dispose of it in a timely fashion is a lot of this is good lab practice. You know, so it it's not too. Sometimes people think we're going to ask them to, when you think about sustainability, just 
turn off all your freezers or something. And it's, it's not, it's not that it's about, um, a lot of it aligns with what you're trying to do in the lab anyways. Right. Um, I guess what are the biggest roadblocks, um, for, or labs and other institutions that have been implementing leaf? The roadblocks for them implementing leaf. Um, oh, or for having it. the highest standard of sustainability within the labs. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I think, uh, there's all, I, I will say that, well, institutions seem to have quite different structures. Um, within some institutions, there's a very strong technical community that can uh, implement uh, criteria around LEAF, and then some uh, don't have that. Some institutions have sustainability departments. Some of them don't, don't you know, the smaller institutions don't have that support. Um, and I think time, um, uh, I think, can, can always be a challenge. You know, people without thinking about sustainability in this current era are already super busy in everything we do. We're all spending a lot of meeting in, in team uh, time in, in, in meetings and et cetera. So um, that's a barrier. Um, I think if you can just overcome sort of critically thinking about your lab space, often, you know, the example I give is people want to recycle at home. They do good stuff around environmental sustainability. And then at the lab, sometimes we don't think about it as much. And just um, uh, switching that, that thinking maybe to, to, to apply it in the lab space is a challenge. But um. Right, especially when um, it's all so specified, you know, within these different types of organizations or different, you know, healthcare versus a university setting. It's all going to look different, but at the end of the day, the goal would be the same. Yeah, I, I think I should mention as well because you're talking about uh, uh, healthcare and, um, you know, a, a concern as well is obviously is. Um, and the appropriate sterilization of materials. You don't want to lead to more contaminations in what in the research people are doing. So um, I think one of the challenges is learning about that, that balance between um, health and safety and uh, sustainability. Uh, uh, you know, today's health and safety issues might cause sustainability issues in the future, but where's that balance? You know, if, if everybody, I think COVID is a classic mm -hmm. example. People talk about all the single-use plastics in terms of, uh, that we have for, you know, masks and gloves and et cetera. Um, but could we sustain that over years and years? If, if anyways, God forbid, COVID stays at the end rate, but that's not today's topic. Another, yeah, another. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, we're just curious, have you encountered any resistance to implementing these measures or it's all people coming forward and, and really wanting to take this on as a challenge for their labs? I'll just say is that um, within every institution, I think there's um, some, there's definitely more motivated individuals and uh, they definitely open doors. And I would always say is to start with those motivated individuals before trying to, to broach those who are um, less motivated and maybe don't have the time or, or capacity to look at it and to show them that it's feasible um, locally before um, trying to get everybody at once, maybe. That makes sense. Yeah. Is there any possibility that these measures could actually affect the quality of science or be restrictive at all on the scientific process? Or could it be a good thing for reproducibility in science? Oh, it's fantastic that you're bringing this up. One unique feature about LEAF is that uh, we've considered research quality uh, in a sense because um, around the issues of reproducibility, um, I think we, we recognize that science is very resource intensive. So if our science is not reproducible, um, in some ways, in, in my mind, that's the most unsustainable science of all. 
Um, and, uh, you know, if you're asking people to, it's a bit of a balance. You know, we have criteria in LEAF that are focused on overall re improving research quality. Um, so, for example, um, very basic things like have you calibrated your pipettes or, um, you know, are you aware of the core facilities within your institution so that your, your, your uh, experiment can be more reproducible between um, repetitions? Um, but, you know, obviously we don't want people to take enough risk that it, it jeopardizes a full experiment, which would then lead to the, you know, you having to reproduce and use all those resources again. Or we don't want people to take such a risk with their freezer that they lose the freezer and they lose the contents of it and, and all of the, the work that's gone into it. So a lot of thought has gone into um, the criteria around LEAF around striking a balance between uh, uh, improving research quality and um, uh, improving environmental sustainability without a risk to the actual science itself. Um, and uh, I'm kind of excited because there's more directions this could go as well. Uh, but that's why with LEAF, we've been engaging with uh, UKRN, which is the UK Reproducibility Network, and they've helped us uh, look at those research quality criteria um, and uh, a few other organizations that we're looking to work with uh, soon. Oh, excellent. Cool. So I think Ella's going to do the quick fire round now. So hand over to her. Do the quick fire. Um, basically, I'm going to have a sentence for you and then you can finish it for us. Oh, um, okay. So. The most important change I should make to be more eco-friendly in the lab right now is? Sign up to leave. <laughs> I don't know. There's too many different things. Or just say, think about sustainability. <laughs> just think about it and sign up for leave. That's great. No, it works. I think, you know, you've pulled all the resources and information, so it makes sense. Um, the most harmful part of the lab or laboratory procedure that has the biggest negative impact on the environment is? Uh, single-use consumption, probably, I would say. Mm. Well, those pesky pipette tips. Yeah. yeah. If it's lab use, it's definitely the single-use. If you're out of a lab, if you're like a behavioral psychologist, then it becomes your air travel. Um, cool. The piece of lab equipment which uses the most energy is? Uh, fume cupboards, typically. Uh, I think freezers probably aren't too far behind. Okay. And is that, that has to do with the ventilation? Mainly, yes, and the the volume of them that are out there. Um, for chemists, it's definitely the fume cupboards. For life scientists, it's probably more the freezers. Okay, and as a laboratory scientist, I should care about sustainability because we live on one planet. <laughs> I don't know how else to say. Yeah, I think. Yeah, don't need me to say it. Hopefully, but yes, check out David Attenborough and, and to spend some time on. <laughs> Have you heard of David Attenborough? <laughs> no, yeah, I was just, that's a better answer. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So, you know, I think it's all exciting and interesting to hear about. And I, I really encourage our membership to go and check out LEAF. Um, even if it's not something you can directly apply within your lab, I'm sure there's tips that you can take away and, um, and do on the ground. So... Thank you so much, Martin. Thanks, Martin, Thank you, for joining us. Thank you, Jordan, as well. You've both been lovely and, uh, yes, much appreciated for taking the time. In this month's Lab Life, we're joined by Shiri Scott. She's a trained biochemist with over 21 years' experience, and she is now a senior lecturer in biomedical science at Nottingham Trent University. 
Shiri is also an active fellow at the IBMS, carrying out a plethora of roles relating to her professional practice. These include as a verifier and assessor for the IBMS registration and specialist portfolios. Shiri has also recently become an advocate for sustainability in the lab and has written August's feature piece for the Biomedical Scientist magazine on the topic. Welcome, Shiri, to the podcast. Hi. Thank you. So we've just had a Sustainable Labs advisor, Martin Farley, previously on the podcast, and he was talking about the LEAF framework, the protocols that scientists can implement for being more sustainable in the lab. Now, I know you've just written a piece on this for the Biomedical Scientist magazine this month. What environmental issues do biomedical scientists face themselves within healthcare laboratories and what actions can be taken to try and increase sustainability? There are certain things biomedical scientists can't necessarily do themselves. They don't have any control over the um, amount of uh, samples that come into the laboratory and samples and testing is that has the biggest impact on the carbon footprint. What they can do is help educate the clinicians to reduce unnecessary testing. Um, what we, They can look at what they're using within the lab and maybe turn off computers at the end of the day. They can look at what can be reused and recycled. Um, so they can take a look at potentially the reagent bottles that come in that are the, generally go to waste. They can look at how they streamline their waste disposal so whether it needs to go for incineration potentially if it can be recycled what what we can do to get the recycling underway um, they can look at um, the types of batteries they use in the equipment and such as uh, the batteries in UPSs um, can we use a more environmentally friendly battery they can look at um, what they're bringing in for their own lunches. Did they have a hot lunch or a cold lunch? They're just, some, they're just some of the little things that we can do. So we might not be able to have a big impact, but every little counts. Mm. Do you think that the profession might implement something like LEAF that Martin was talking about earlier or a, a, a I, protocol? I think there is that from, it needs to be led from the top down. Uh, there is a big drive by NHS England to uh, embed these uh, the sustainable goals within the culture of the NHS. I think we can look at introducing more education with the staff in such as induction processes. So we can also, with bringing in new students that have had the education surrounding the SDGs and sustainability, it's the way that they can embed that into the, the culture of the lab. They can look at their own employment policies and training so is there a way that they can uh, work towards the sustainability goals surrounding employment ensure that equality and diversity so that they can reduce any equality within the lab there are some of these areas that we do really really well within the NHS but there are certainly areas for improvement and by incorporating objectives such as LEAF you get the whole of the department working to a common goal and also they can use it to enhance their own reputations Mm, absolutely, yeah. And you mentioned these um, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and you've explained a little bit more actually in your article. Could you just explain what is meant by them and what the NHS is doing right now with them? So the SDGs are goal, development goals that the United Nations have introduced to try and reduce the inequality, to end poverty and improve and protect the planet. 
And the NHS have uh, taken these goals and put together a sustainable management plan. Juice hunger, make sure we've got a quality education, that there is a, a fair and equal opportunity for education. And they're implementing environment programmes, looking at their consumption and production and trying to have a better impact on the environment and on poverty. So what what they've got is this sustainable management plan that embeds these SDGs into themes so that they can look at employability, they can look at the climate and, and try and work towards smarter working, mental health, quality diversity and inclusion and looking at it to support carers. I think it's all about getting individuals to think about their own practice. It's about working together. And also, yes, environment is important, but we've also got to think about our own health, what we can do to make ourselves healthier and improve our own mental well-being. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting that this issue of sustainability is arising right now in the lab, isn't it? Because people tend to think of it in their home, in their, in their personal lives. Like, what can we, I do myself to reduce my carbon footprint? Should I not fly as much? Should I turn the you know, washing machine down? But in the lab space, this is something Martin was saying, it's not something that uh, scientists, biomedical scientists or anyone working in a lab tends to think about as much, is it? You've, you've also got the issue where when we're striving for quality, your hands are tied about whether what you can reuse. You're also conscious of the fact that you've got reagents and quality controls that have limited expiration, whereas potentially if, if you're in a, a teaching environment, you're not so concerned about the exact fit results that you're getting, whereas you have to be concerned within a clinical laboratory. So there, there yes, there are some things you can do in the lab, but there are some things that you can't because of UCAS, because of because of the ISO standards and, and that strive for getting the right result. You've got to make sure you're sticking to elements uh, that the manufacturers set. Yeah. Do you think there will be any resistance of doing this in any form? I think we're all working to a common goal. We're, we all recognise the importance of, of sustainability. It might be a buzzword at the moment, but it's a buzzword that's gaining traction. Everyone recognises we can, you, you just have to look out the window to see what's happening with the weather. It's in the news. It's, yeah. it's a, um, as I say, I think everyone wants to work to the same goal. So I, I think providing there aren't any impacts on quality or impacts financially, we're all going to be looking to try and do what we can. Okay, that sounds excellent. So one of the measures the IBMS is implementing to improve sustainability is to move towards conducting verifications and assessments for our registration and specialist portfolios virtually, uh, so there's less travelling involved. Um, And right now we've been running a campaign to encourage members to sign up and become verifiers and examiners. Now you've been doing this role for a few years now, so could you tell us a little bit more about the role and why should a member listening think about signing up? It's a great experience. We get lots of communication experience, networking opportunities, you share best practices. So you are not only developing yourself, you're also taking some key tips and tricks back to the lab. You get to pick up some great ideas for the variety of evidence that your potential trainees can use. You get to see new equipment and new techniques in play. I've learned far more 
about the other disciplines through doing assessment than I did when I was actually working in a clinical biochemistry laboratory because you don't get to see what the other disciplines do. You get to um, potentially share resources. So if you see something that a lab is particularly doing, you can approach the training officer to see if they'd be willing to share ideas and resources. You get a network building. So you get to make contacts with other labs. There's something that you potentially can collaborate on. So you get potentially uh, research opportunities. You get to top up your own knowledge. So it's a great CPD opportunity because you're learning about the new and current as well as reinforcing things that you might have forgotten about. So it's, it's a, it, and also you get to see how some of the problems that you're facing in your own lab are similar in other labs. So it, you don't feel so isolated. So it, it's great for your own health and well-being if you're feeling that little bit stressed about certain situations that you've got no control over. So there's mm. a great deal of benefits out there for, for being an assessor. Yeah. Why is it so important then that we actually have these roles existing uh, within the profession I'm a firm believer that quality training equals quality practice. And so we need to be able to do the best for our trainees so that they can go on and practice to produce that correct test result on the correct patient in the timely manner. And then they can then go on and train the next generation of biomedical scientists. So by going out and assessing, you're not only getting that new workforce in their role quicker so that we can get bodies on the bench but you're also getting making ensuring that we've got a quality workforce to replace an aging workforce you're doing your bit to ensure that that there are enough bodies within the lab that are producing those right results to benefit the patient pathway and get those results to the clinicians excellent thanks for joining us thanks for agreeing to do this it's been really interesting shuri's article focusing on the environmental issues facing biomedical scientists and the un's sustainable development goals is available now and if you're thinking about signing up to become a verifier or examiner there is more information in the link in our show notes thanks so much for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode these podcasts are released monthly at the same time the magazine comes out so whenever a new issue lands on your doormat head back online to listen to a new episode and don't forget that these podcasts can be used for your cpd take care and bye